listening to Let It Out with me. I'm your host, Katie Delbout, and this is my podcast where I talk to fascinating people just like today's guest, Cheryl Miller Hauser, who you will hear all about in just a moment. But first, welcome. If you are new to the podcast, I'm so glad you found it. How did you find it? Let me know. Let's be friends on all of social media. I'm at Katie Delbout. And if you've been listening for a long time, you know the drill. I talk to creative fascinating people and I learn from them and I just connect with them. The podcast is so long, usually about two hours, so we get so cozy that we forget we're recording and we just connect as people and you guys all eavesdrop. It's great, sometimes even live when I record live episodes. This one was not recorded live. It Well, it was recorded live, but not with an audience, just Cheryl and I in her beautiful home on the Upper West Side of New York. Anyway, it was a great time. Cheryl is wonderful. You'll hear that in this episode. We have this great conversation where we cover career and parenting, and she gives advice for people who want to work in TV and film like she does. She also talks about feminism and relationships and bodies and being a woman in the world and so many things, feeling feelings. I really enjoyed this conversation. We recorded it on a cozy afternoon this fall and ate a persimmon together after, which was one of the more lovely experiences I've had since moving to New York City. We talk about how we met, but shout out to my friend and previous podcast guest, Phoebe Lapine, for introducing us at her beautiful dinner party that she hosted, and Cheryl and I were sat next to each other. You'll love this episode. We talk about her deep experience producing and directing feature films and documentaries and web series and branded content and all types of content. We talk about how she started her career. We talk about her career, you know, producing award-winning film and television. And the beginning part of this conversation focuses on her recent project called Generation Startup that is a film that takes place in Detroit. And we talk quite a bit about it at the beginning. But we even talked more about it, which I edited out because it got a bit inside baseball. And so if you haven't seen the movie yet, you definitely should. It's on Netflix. Please watch it. And then I put that part that I edited out at the very end of this podcast. So once you have watched the movie, then you can go back and listen to that part because it's really just me, you know, scratching an itch for myself, asking all of the indulgent questions I wanted to know about the film and the process and the making of the film. So you'll get to hear that at the end of the podcast if you want to stick around for that. If you haven't seen the film yet, maybe you won't find it as interesting or maybe you'll listen to it and then it will really make you want to see the film. Either way... It's such a great conversation. I think you guys will really like it. I definitely did. I loved recording it, so I think you'll love listening to it. I hope you guys had a great holiday and are having a great holiday. This is that one week a year where nobody really knows what day it is and the world is kind of quieter, which I always really love and appreciate, and I hope you are cozy drinking hot cocoa somewhere. I'm recording this from Michigan. I'm still home there. I'm recording it 
the day after Christmas. I hope you guys had a great Christmas. Your time with your family was relaxing. If you were with family, if you weren't with family, I hope you were with friends. And if you were alone, I hope you felt cozy like that too. Whatever you were doing, I hope that you were happy and are happy. And I'm really glad you're spending the next hour or so, hour, two hours with me if you finish listening to this podcast. All right. Thank you again for listening. Now let's talk about who makes this podcast possible. Let's thank the sponsors. This episode is brought to you in part by Juice Beauty. If you want to get 15% off your order from Juice Beauty, go to juicebeauty.com slash let it out. No code needed. I love this brand, you guys. They sell them at Whole Foods. They're one of my favorite natural skincare lines ever. I love their makeup, especially their primer is my favorite in the world. And I had their founder, Karen, on the podcast. You can go back and listen to that. But she believes that women shouldn't have to choose between beauty and their health. And that's why every product that they create has a superfood as the first ingredient, something really good for your face, like juice, just like green juice. That's why it's called Juice Beauty. And I love their stuff because not only is it good for your skin, not only does it nourish your skin when you're using it, but it actually works. And they even teamed up with Gwyneth Paltrow as Juice Beauty's creative director of their makeup. And they have all of this plant pigmented vegan makeup that I love. Check them out. Make sure you go to juicebeauty.com slash let it out to get 15% off your order. Make sure you go there. Follow the link in the show notes. Thank you, Juice Beauty. This episode is also brought to you in part by Cara Vitamins. Cara Vitamins are my favorite vitamins. Not only do they source the highest quality ingredients in their supplements, but they deliver them to you in a really creative way. It's great for travel, especially this time of year when there's a lot of travel, because they come to you in a personalized container that even says your name on it with just the supplements that you need. So it's simple. You just go to their website. They ask you a series of questions about your diet, your health goals, your sleep, your poop. And from there, it curates the exact grouping of supplements that you need to feel your best. And then they deliver them to you in these personalized daily packs that are so convenient and easy to take on the go. And again, they use the best quality ingredients in their supplements. And you can actually save money by purchasing with care of than purchasing everything in your local health food store. So check them out. I love their stuff so much. And here's the best part. You can get 50% off of your order by using the code Katie, that's my name, K-A-T-I-E, for 50% off your first order. So go to takecareof.com and make sure you enter the code Katie. Thank you so much, Careof, for sponsoring this week's episode. Thank you, Juice Beauty, and thank you for listening. Stick around to the end of the episode. I'm going to tell you the emoji and about next week's episode. Love you guys. Thanks for listening. Enjoy, Cheryl. So, okay, let's start by telling everyone how we met, and we we met a couple months ago now. I just moved to New York, and we bonded over so many things at dinner. It was so serendipitous that we were sat next to each other, and I just moved from New York at Phoebe's dinner. So how did you meet Phoebe? You guys both went to Brown, right? We went to Brown, and I am part of a mentoring program. I was, I guess, the keynote speaker. That January and I had just left my job as head of production for a big production company and um, I was uh, saying like how ironic it is that I was speaking in that event because I didn't have a job and that I had just left my job and was 
kind of figuring out what would come next for me. Yeah. And um, when I was done speaking, Sophie, uh, Phoebe made a beeline for me, and she said, can we have coffee? Can we have coffee? I just broke up with my business partner, and, like, I don't know what comes next for me. And, I, you know, I, I said, sure. So we had a breakfast and, like, spent three hours together. Um, spent Which a long is time such a together. cool thing that you shared because she did my podcast and told her entire life story. So... Go back to listen to that episode with Phoebe, but if you have already, you remember that point in her story where she talks about that part in her life before she started kind of where she is now and how influential that time was for her. So, I mean, she says I'm a mentor to her, but um, uh, she is to me too. I mean, it's very, like all all mentoring relationships, the, the, the good yeah. ones, um, it's very much a two-way street, and I'm so inspired by Phoebe. It was such a great dinner that we went to, and I was so happy to be there and to be seated by you and, and get to meet you. And we, like I said, bonded over the fact that you had just made a documentary that's so amazing called Generation Startup, which follows young entrepreneurs in the city of Detroit. And it looms around this fact that you mentioned to me that surprised me so much at dinner that night that entrepreneurship between 18 to 34 year olds is at a 25 year low. And that was so shocking to me. Can you talk about how you discovered that fact and why you wanted to explore it in film? Yeah. So. Um, I know everyone is shocked when they hear that because they yeah. think of millennials as incredibly entrepreneurial. But um, you know, while while millennials may have blogs or be active on social media, it doesn't mean that they're launching companies. Yeah. Um, or or taking risks in other ways. Um, <clears throat> and there are a whole host of reasons why uh, young people are less entrepreneurial. Um, from you know, we can get into that uh, later, but. Um, the way I got into the movie was um, my son had just graduated from college and he was a fellow in a, a fellowship program called Venture for America. Mm-hmm. Um, and the founder, Andrew Yang, uh, recognized that entrepreneurship was low among uh, young people and wanted to create a funnel um, or a pathway for um, people to train as entrepreneurs. So they recruit uh, college seniors and they uh, send them to startups around the country, um, not in New York, San Francisco, Boston, but um, places like Detroit, Cincinnati, Cleveland, Baltimore. So um, economically depressed cities uh, across the US and the fellows work at a startup for two years and they basically train to be entrepreneurs. They see what it takes to launch a startup and they're, they're really thrown in to the deep end. And um, VFA encourages them and helps them to come up with a business plan to launch their own companies, ideally in the city where they've been placed after the two years. So the, the, the startups that hire them pay them for those two years, and, and 25% of VFA fellows have launched their own companies. And um, so my son had just graduated from college. He was the uh, hire number 11 at a rapidly growing startup, and he was um, put in charge of a lot of their marketing because he was had been an English major. And he was having a really, really hard time because mm-hmm. um, he was in way over his head. But What he was, city did he go to? Uh, Providence. Okay. So he was in Providence. Um, but he was learning so much. And um, so I met Andrew Yang and I said, wow, you're changing my son's life. And I'm so inspired by what you're doing. And I would like to follow fellows in one of your cities. Cool. 
because whether their companies succeed or fail isn't what really interests me. Yeah. What interests me is that here are young people who, you know, when you graduate from college, it's the first time in your life when you don't have everything yeah. mapped out. I mean, you know, uh, up until then, you know that, like, you After know... After kindergarten, right. elementary school, there's always something. Always something. So it is a huge void coming yeah. out of college. And it's also a time when people are really beginning to define, really, who am I? What's my place in the world? What yeah. are my values? Um and as Andrew says in the movie, our brains don't stop wiring until we're about 27, 28 years old. So what you do right out after college, um, for a lot of people, really sets the their pathway. Um, yeah. uh, and so um, I knew that, that there would be tremendous personal growth no matter what happened to these kids. And so Andrew was game. I, I said, I want to make a feature documentary and I want to follow some of them and whatever happens is going in the movie. Are you cool with that? Because if someone has a nervous breakdown, that's part of the story. Yeah. And he said, yes, I am, because launching a company is really hard and some people do have nervous breakdowns, like doing it. It's just yeah. it's very stressful and very hard. And, you know, um, our society tends to whitewash or, or glamorize yeah. the startup life. Um, and it's not glamorous. I mean, it's incredibly fulfilling. Um, and one does learn and grow a lot, but it's really hard. And so I think that's one of the things about the movie that I've, I mean, I, I traveled with it for, for, for eight months after, after its release. And that, that is one of the things, one, one of the feedback that we've gotten is that people appreciate how honest and how real it is. Yeah. Yeah. I loved in the movie when Andrew Yang says, I think it's towards the end and he's like, spoiler alert, he's like, people might have a really great company and that's great or their startup might succeed but also we might they might just learn a lot and become the people that they're going to be and that's the goal of his business or his work is to make these really great human beings and teach them things not necessarily make these startups in the city which might be a nice side effect but I thought that was really great. Well, I think that and for me that is the biggest um, theme of the movie mm-hmm. uh, if if it's it's in moving outside our comfort zone yeah. that we stretch and grow as yeah. people and um, I think you know if we become complacent or we don't take risks and I don't mean starting a company type of risk but um, any kind of risk trying something new I mean I, I took a gym class today and something I'd never done before and I mean like I had no idea what I was doing but I'm what like did you take? I took a bar class oh cool I really like bar we yeah should go together yeah mm-hmm. I liked it too and I've never done ballet and yeah. I just like I'm like okay I need to like you know ex- expand my horizons yeah and not just it's do good it. for us yeah. yeah but that's like a tiny example but um but I think that 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 um the more we as people are open to to new experiences and to moving outside what is comfortable yeah. that is how we first of all see what our strengths are see what we really love yeah. meet new people um you know develop new skills new interests and it's how we keep growing as people yeah. and i think that when we stop growing and stop challenging ourselves that's when we stagnate and yes yeah i when i was moving to new york because that's kind of the biggest the thing I'm most proud of that I've done so far in my life and the thing that was most challenging, I remember I saw this quote somewhere, probably like somewhere on the internet, and it was like, 
growth can't happen when you're comfortable. And I don't know if that's all the time true, but it seemed really true for me in the moment because I felt like this was so what I needed to do, but in the moment it was so uncomfortable. There were so many things to make sure of, and is this the right choice, and I don't know. And that really propelled me forward of, I feel best as a human being when I'm learning and growing. And I don't want that ever to stop until I'm dead, Right. ideally. I think we all feel like that's when we feel stimulated. And yeah. also I, I think that when we challenge ourselves, oftentimes, and I know for me this was true, I mean, making this movie, or you know, I, I started making this film at the same time I launched my own company. So for me, this film was very personal. I yeah. identified so strongly with the characters so the, cool. in the film. and. And that, in fact, I looked at what they were doing, and they inspired me, um, because me making the movie was every bit as challenging as as what they were going through with their companies. Um, but I so, and then when you when you set the bar, like when you do something that's a challenge, and whether you are like hugely successful at, at it or not, then like you you you're like, oh hey, well that wasn't so bad. And then you just keep raising the yeah. bar on what you're willing to push yourself to do. In yes. terms of, and, and like once you conquer a fear, it goes away yes. and then you can conquer other fears. I was just thinking about that today. Well, this is kind of a bad example, but I was thinking about it with the subway. Like when I was going to move here and first move here, first moved here, I was so afraid of the subway. I was just like, I, I'm never going to get it. I'm not going to directions. There's no way I can do it. And now it's like, oh, I get it. It's easy. You just have to do it a few times and it's fine. And I was saying today's a bad example because it took me forever to get here. But anyway, yeah, that's that's one other thing. But the the point is, I think. But the that more is my point. That yeah. Like, even if like it probably took you a long time because of the subway system, not you. But even if we like have missteps along the way. Yeah. You just like, like it's like oh well I like so I lost my way but now I I I got there. Yeah. So it's. You know, and I use that the example to myself as like proof to myself. I'm learning to knit right now, and my friend is teaching me, and it's like so challenging. I want to give up, and I'm like, well, I learned the subway, so I can learn to knit. It's fine, and everything else I've ever tried to do in my life, you just have to kind of have those examples of like, okay, I did that thing that I thought was impossible, and you keep doing it again and again and again, and that's what the movie is so great, and starting your own company, and anyway, we have so much to talk about. <laughs> So I want to know why Detroit was that a choice from Andrew, and then how did you decide on both the city and the subjects? Right. So once um, once Andrew was game, and he mm-hmm. was like, "Yep, yeah, I'm in, and I'm I'm comfortable with you telling an on like an honest story." Um, I had to raise funding, and um, PwC Charitable Foundation uh, came in with the initial funding. Um, I attached Cynthia Wade as my co-director, and um, then it was like, "Wow, like." now we have to pick a city because um, we didn't want to be in multiple cities. We wanted the film to feel cohesive. So it was hard enough making super hard, making the film feel cohesive following six disparate stories. Mm -hmm. So um, we wanted to ground it in one place. And um, we met with VFA to hear what what was going on in each of their cities. And so we uh, wanted to know what were the different startups where VFA fellows were going. And it was also important to us to follow a few fellows who had already been through the program for two years and were launching their own startups. And VFA had only been around 
for two years. So um, this was the first graduating class in 2014. Mm-hmm. So um, for, for, for Detroit had a lot of interesting um, companies and also two fellow founding companies that were just about to launch. And also Detroit, I mean, it's so visually rich. It's, it's, and film is a visual medium. Mm-hmm. And also Detroit was, uh, I mean, it was built on entrepreneurship and innovation. Yeah. It was one of the premier cities uh, in, in our country. And um, it is seeing an incredible rejuvenation because of entrepreneurship. So it just, and also there is a, a slogan in Detroit that we came to learn, Detroit hustles harder. And yeah. we discovered that is really true. I mean, there's such an entrepreneurial spirit there. And also entrepreneurship is, re- it is truly about grit and resilience. I mean, those two words are like a cliche now, but they are entrepreneurship. I mean, I think to be successful as an entrepreneur, you have to have such determination. And that's what Detroit has. It yeah. has so much grit and resilience. So Detroit, even as a city, mirrors so much the themes yeah. of, of our movie. Yeah, I mean, I agree that it was a it was a perfect choice. And I really loved the the film so much, which I already told you. And did did you see Rent, the the show? Um musical? yes, okay. but a long time ago. Okay. When it so, when it was on Broadway. I just couldn't help it. I so I rewatched the movie last night preparing for this. And I I love Rent. It's like my favorite. I came here when I was like seven years old to go see it. And when I came to New York for the first time. And it when I was watching the film last night, it reminded me so much of the plot of Rent where the East Village is replaced by Detroit and the young artists are replaced by young entrepreneurs. And they're wrestling with the same kind of friction of, you know, new developments coming into this old place. And it just really... Remind me of that. I wonder if anyone had brought that up in any of the screenings that you did when it came out. No, you were the first one. Really? But yeah, that's interesting. it seems like such a because Rent is based on La Boheme, and this yeah. seems like a modern day version. It I saw so many parallels with it. Oh last my god, night. I have to watch. Uh, yeah, the movie. you should watch the movie I again, ha- and then because yeah. it just seemed like so spot on. And especially the next thing I wanted to to talk about is that the I love that the film addresses the friction and resistance in the city with the idea of outsiders moving in, primarily millennials. And there's this one scene in particular where one character is riding her bike through the city and the place that she works, the city, for people listening, many of them might know it's super big and there's different pockets. And she was noticing the vast difference between where she works and what she's surrounded by and where she lives. She's surrounded by transplants where she works and where she lives, she's surrounded by locals. And I love, you know, the film didn't dwell on, on this fact, but I'm really glad that it was it was brought up. Was that important for you to mention? And was that, you know, a, a critique that you got from locals with the film? How did the film go in Detroit? We, if, if Cynthia and I had set out to make a movie about entrepreneurship in Detroit, we would have chosen very different characters. Maybe mm-hmm. one person would have been a Venture for America fellow. But there are so many local heroes and there's so much going on there in terms of grassroots entrepreneurship yeah. and, and locals who are launching companies and small businesses there um, who we would have loved to have followed. So um, because our way into Detroit was through Venture for America and following VFA Fellows and then picking Detroit as the city to follow VFA Fellows, they were our focus. 
you know, Cynthia and I both always felt sad and frustrated that we couldn't also yeah. be telling the story of the local local entrepreneurs because they're amazing people Maybe and amazing. <laughs> right. But it was important to us and and it and and the film is very much a celebration of entrepreneurship and how entrepreneurship is the driver of economic rejuvenation and it is. It's young companies that create all new jobs. Yeah. So it is super important to have new businesses growing up in a place because otherwise you don't have jobs. But um but with that comes um, gentrification and, and rising housing costs and other things that, that can drive out you know, locals. So with that also comes a higher tax base and, and, and lots of other benefits. But um, it, it was important to us to at least acknowledge that um, not everyone is benefiting yet from yeah. what's happening in Detroit. And then in fact, it, it you know, could, could drive some people you know, out of their homes. And so Extina does express this, mm-hmm. that, you know, she wonders if what's happening is helping everyone. And, you know, um, there's been a lot of criticism about even that um, the, all the money has gone to building the downtown and not the neighborhoods. But Detroit's sprawling and you have to start yeah. somewhere. And the, you know, I think the people who, even the city, in rebuilding the downtown, the idea was to, um, you know, attract people to return to downtown, businesses to return yeah. to the city, restaurants, all of that. And, I, you know, money is now um, going to the neighborhoods and um, economic rejuvenation and, yeah. and entrepreneurship um, training in the neighborhoods as yeah. well. And I feel like people don't understand just how sprawling it is. Someone told me once that you can fit all of Manhattan and all of Brooklyn and still have space in the like Detroit proper, not even any of the like suburbs and surrounding places. So it's so huge that you just kind of have to start somewhere. And that critique is is everywhere in Detroit. But I think that I loved so much that the film addressed that and it was so clear that the the stories that you chose to focus on were so good and had such an arc that you couldn't there just isn't space in the, you know, ninety minutes or however long the movie was to go into any other stories and that's so clear but I'm so glad that that point was addressed in, in such a mindful way. Well good. I'm there had been a number of other documentaries done about Detroit in years prior to Generation Startup coming out um, that really accentuated the decay porn. And I think the, those films were well-meaning. They were trying to shed a spotlight on how Detroit needs, needed help. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I think that, um, first of all, we did not dwell on decay porn. If anything, our film shows tremendous rebuilding. I mean, every time we came back, we came back once a month. I mean, there were new restaurants, new buildings. I mean, we like, you know, I remember driving in Detroit it was so hard because the GPS would like yeah. it would reroute me because oh, it didn't worst. know yeah. that there was like, I would get lost all the time because of all the dis- construction. Yeah. So our film is very much in the spirit of, of re- rebuilding. Um, so, and I think that that is what people in Detroit appreciate that it is a positive look at Detroit and and we're very clear also um, the VFA fellows we followed none of them are in Detroit to save the city Detroit does not need to be saved 
they came there to build lives there, um, not to save the city, which, again, yeah. I think some of the other documentaries maybe had a bit of a tone of that. Yeah. So, um, so I th- and, and I mean, the film is part of a um, cultural diplomacy program with the State Department, so I've traveled with it to Tunisia and to Chile, and cool. Cynthia went to Mozambique, and Dextina went to the Caribbean. I'm, I'm going to Vietnam, Cambodia, and Laos. But and it's screened you know in many countries around the world. And what's interesting to me is like in Tunisia, the um um the audiences they so identified with Detroit. Mm. Um, you know, it's in, 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 in Peru, um, in places where they are rebuilding, where there's a lot of poverty, but you know, they're they're hopeful that through entrepreneurship they will rebuild and, and, and the other comment I get everywhere is wow we didn't realize Detroit was so beautiful or we didn't realize Detroit's so cool or that that there's all this you know rebuilding going on there so I I mean did you have any personal connection to Detroit before making the film I had never been to Detroit before making the film and I frankly I was like I was nervous I was, as the producer of the film, I was worried about, like, keeping the crew safe and the, the gear not being, like, stolen. Like, yeah. I, you know, it's it's funny. I mean, in the in the 70s, when I would travel from New York, um, people would say, oh, my God, you live in New York. It's so dangerous. It's so, And I'd say, like, no, it's fine. And, um, I, I mean, my view of Detroit was what I had read. And what I had read about Detroit up until we started filming in the summer of 2014. So Detroit was still in bankruptcy when we started filming and we filmed for a year and a half. But um, you know, everything I'd read about Detroit up until then was gloom and doom and yeah, um and how how incredibly dangerous the city was. So, and then, you know, I got there and like fell madly in love with with yeah, Detroit. That's so cool. So I want to know, I've never talked to someone who has made a film and a documentary and so I'm so curious you know what is the process like what is the shooting like and I, I kept thinking about you know with there was a lot of footage where the subjects were just speaking to camera which I'm assuming there wasn't a crew around for those parts so did you just have them record whenever they felt like recording and what about the subjects being aware of the crew and the camera how does all of that work Right, so I didn't answer, I answered how we picked Detroit, but I didn't mm-hmm. answer how we picked the characters, and that ties into the filmmaking. Mm-hmm. So um, we, once we knew we wanted to film in Detroit, we put all of the fellows going to Detroit on film in a sit-down interview situation at, at VFA has a training camp, so a training camp. And we were looking for, in terms of who we followed, well, most of all, looking for people who were open and who were willing to be vulnerable on camera because and let us in because we knew we wanted to 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 track their the emotional journey yeah and um people what we were saying about Phoebe earlier, I mean people relate to others and root for others who are vulnerable, vulnerable when we allow ourselves to um to to Real. show right yeah. to mm-hmm. show our weaknesses our fears our hopes our dreams all of that that's what's relatable yeah. so we wanted to find people who were going to let us in emotionally mm-hmm. and then also we wanted diversity so we wanted gender diversity racial diversity we wanted diversity of companies and diversity of um, where the VFA fellows were in their VFA journey so mm-hmm. a few fellow founded companies and then in terms of the filmmaking 
we kept the footprint of the crew tiny so that we were pretty unobtrusive when we were filming. It's it's a verite follow doc, so we didn't, uh, unlike reality TV, I mean, we didn't fabricate anything. We didn't, like, we really followed them in their real yeah. lives. We, so the crew was um, a cinematographer, an audio person, a director, um, our associate producer, and a, a production assistant. And that was it. And so they were living in Detroit? or No, coming? so we... W- we would go um, for and film for seven days usually, so a full week. And shoot days are long. They're like 18-hour days. Mm-hmm. So seven days every month or so. So in the beginning, it was every month. And then as the year and a half went on, it became like every five or six weeks. Okay. But we were there quite regularly and when we came we were there for a long time so like a week at a time and and filming and so the filming consisted of um three three things and if you watch the movie now that i say this you'll see um we did sit down interview with with each person every time yeah because that's the kind of the check-in um we did verite follow doc so following them in moments where you know bonzo was pitching to uh a store yeah. or um papa joe's papa joe's and right uh the the redemption because they had pitched to papa joe's when they didn't have the recipe right yeah. and it turned to mush and then we went back with them at the redemption meeting yeah, um, when cool. when they or we filmed with them in the factory up north or we filmed with you know, castle going scouting a house. Um, so that's the verite in the moment. And then we also shot what we call B-roll, which is um, shots of them walking through the city or um, making bonza or... Going to the ATM. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, and then when you are in the edit room, you use your um, interview footage. Sometimes you see them on camera and sometimes we took the sound, the audio bites of those interviews and put it over B-roll or over a verite scene. So we'd stay in touch with them when we weren't in Detroit and we'd track what's going on. And then we were also tracking the storylines that we had captured with them. So um, we were tracking like very closely what their storyline was. I mean, if, if I had raised all the money up front, we would have had probably an editor or an, or an associate editor cutting as we were going, and that would have made it easier, but yeah. we couldn't afford that. So I was tracking the storylines just on a piece of paper for each character. Wow. And then um, that would inform like what we needed and wanted to shoot with them when we came back. So in the case of Bonza, for instance, we knew that they once they got their recipe right, we knew that they would want to go back to Papa Joe's for that redemption. So what we said we to them was... Could you know? Could you wait until we're there, or could you let us know when you will do that, and then we would build a week around that. Yeah. So we knew that Castle would be pitching to investors. We knew we wanted to get Castle pitching because one of their story arcs was that they they had run out of money. Yeah. I mean, they were they were almost out of money and were going to have to fold if they hadn't raised more money. So, um, and we knew that they had this big pitch coming up to investors. So we knew that that we wanted to capture that. So we were in touch with everyone. To and, and, and what was going on in their lives helped us determine when we would come back and film again. Yeah, yeah. One of my favorite characters, it, there were so many arcs in all the stories, and it really, 
it's one of those documentaries that really has a story. It's not just B-roll. There's like such an art for each character. But this particular line I wrote down because I, I thought this was so interesting and I related to it so much even though I am so different from this character. But he says, I wish I could tell my parents what was going on with my life without them trying to judge or change it. But I, I think that is something where the specifics of that situation, we'll have people watch the movie to find out where that, that was, but I think the specifics of that situation are very vastly different from my life, but the sentiment is something I relate to a lot of, that lonely feeling of not being able to relate to my parents and wanting to let them in and on my life, but not wanting the feedback, just wanting someone to listen. So I thought... It would be really interesting for you to talk about your feelings with that and have you ever felt that way, you know, as a parent and and how do you how do you deal with that and, and why was that important to include in the film? Hmm. That's a very uh complex question. My husband and I yeah. have have felt very strongly that we want to we've tried to let our kids be who they are and um encourage them to find their own voice and to use their voice. Um, I mean, what I told them growing up was, you don't have to be great at everything, but if there's something that's important to you, don't half-ass it. Do that Mm -hmm. well. Um, So it's like you don't have to have straight A's, but like if you care deeply about being an artist, then apply yourself and study that and, and do that well. Um, or do it as a hobby and don't do it well, that's fine. But like, and, um, I mean, I, intention. Yeah. Just, and I, just uh, this idea of like not half-assing, but, but not across the board. I mean, I think that our society and parents put way too much pressure on kids to be perfect and to be great at everything and to get straight A's and to like go to the best. even to try a lot of things. I mean, I've always told the kids like, try it all. Like, take a class and if you hate it stop taking the class like yeah. it's like you know it's I mean you know you want to try fencing sure yeah. try like you know we'll rent the equipment and if you love it then we'll invest and buy equipment but like sure try it like yeah. so um and you know I, I I would also say to them like if you want to like whatever you want to do in life just like that's fine like that's, I, I mean, it's not, it's, I, I find it so sad parents try to control their kids or try to live their lives or the regrets that they have about their lives yeah. through their children. And I just, I try to listen. I try to, when my kids come to me for advice and I, like from a very young age have done this, I don't, I, I don't tell them you should do this or you should do that. I listen and I ask a lot of questions and I try to help them come to like their own decision yeah. with these like you know questions that 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 cause them to to think a little deeper. But um, it's funny because my middle son is very into meditation and mindfulness, and he's he reads a lot. So at dinner the other night, he was talking about how he was feeling um, anxious and 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 certain feelings he was having, and I tried to make him feel better I said something that I thought would make him feel better and he he said mom you know what you don't have to make me feel better 
Like, mm. if you just, if this is getting to what you said about your own parents. Yeah. He said, if you just let me express how I'm feeling and just let me feel it instead of, like, 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 like trying to assuage my feelings. Yeah. And I said, I'm so sorry. Like, I didn't realize I was doing that. It must that. be an instinct. Like, you're a well, parent. And that's you what I said. I said, as your mom, as your mom, I like, it pains me yeah. to hear that you're feeling anxious about something. Yeah. And um, about something that, like, I think in the grand scheme of things, like, you don't need to feel anxious about. It's all going to be fine. So it was interesting because, yeah. um, but that's like, that's getting to you saying, I wish my parents could understand. And, mm-hmm. and in that case, that was a very immediate, but in terms of the bigger thing of parents and children, I think that, um, I think the saddest thing is when parents don't let children figure out who they are and live a life that will make the child happy. Yeah. Um, because, and that's, even you know what Andrew Yang was after with launching Venture for America because his he's first generation um, immigrant from China and his parents like really forced him to go to law school and he came yeah. out and he worked at a uh, one of the top law firms um, for five months and was miserable and he quit and um, he launched a company and it failed and another one that failed and a third one that was successful but he got that bug of like you know entrepreneurship. And that's when he said, there are too many young people who are taking very safe, conventional, narrow paths because their parents or society is, is guiding them yeah. to do that. And he said, I want to give a path that parents will think is safe and secure, yes. but that is actually enabling young people to take risk. Yeah. I mean, these interviews, it's so funny. They're such a mirror of where of my life and where I am in the moment and today. This And this leads next to what I want to talk about, which we've talked a lot about the film, and I want to know more about you and, and how you got into to filmmaking and ended up starting your own company and after taking a what is a more traditional path that you were on of working for someone else. And I relate so much to to Andrew Yang and, you know, the, the people, some of the people in the movie of doing the safe path because I didn't have entrepreneurship modeled for me. I didn't have parents, you know, telling me to try things. I had parents that said, you know, get a job with benefits and a 401k and, you know, then you can figure it out. Don't move to a big city, like stay and figure out how to make money first. And I'm glad that I did those things and everybody has their own own path that taught me whatever, whatever. But I think it's really important. I've had to find those role models elsewhere and I'm glad that the internet exists and I'm glad that I've been able to do these other things. But can you talk about and your experience of you know how you got into filmmaking and you were working in TV production before and what was that decision of making the leap to work for yourself like for you? Yeah. Um, so I um, I came out of college with a degree in comparative literature. I did get a job at um, uh, I wanted to do something that combined creativity and business and um, got a job during a horrible recession at one of the big ad agencies in like one of those plum in like uh training programs 
In New York? In New York. So you grew up in New York? I grew up in northern New Jersey. My parents moved into the city when I was in high school. Okay. Yeah, cool. so I did grow up basically in New York. And then and you went to Brown. I went to Brown and came, and came out with a degree in comparative literature and, and got this job at an ad agency. There, there were like no jobs when I graduated from college. And I was miserable. And I thought that I wanted, I thought advertising was what I wanted to do because uh, it combines creativity and, yeah. and business. But I was in this training program in crunching numbers, and I realized I, I didn't I didn't care so much about um, selling product, and and it was my parents who kept saying, well, you should quit because you, if this is not a path um, that you see yourself following on, then like find a different path. Yeah. Um, and I did after three months and the woman was like, what? You're crazy. You know, there are thousands of people who like would die for this job. And I said, well, then they should have it. And the irony is that I, I kind of regret it because I don't really regret it. But um, now I'm, you know, uh, doing branded content for advertisers, for brands. So we've come full circle where <laughs> brands are um, telling amazing stories and around like really yeah. important issues. And I'm excited to be doing filmmaking and storytelling for cool. brands. Um, but it's a little different. It's not about like selling a diaper. I then moved into uh, feature film. My husband and I moved to London and I met Robert Bolt there who had written Dr. Shabbat. Lawrence of Arabia, Man oh, for All cool. Seasons, a lot of amazing films. Yeah. And I did all the historic research for the mission um, and um, from primary sources and worked with him on, on an adaptation for TV of a Gore Vidal uh, novel and, and then came back to New York and, and uh, was uh, working in feature film and, and was one of the producers on David O. Russell's first movie, Spanking the Monkey. But then um, when I started having kids, I didn't want to be in L.A. all the time, and I uh, moved into nonfiction television um, and was head of production for a few independent production companies, overseeing hundreds of hours of nonfiction television for all the cable companies, so Nat Geo, Discovery, A&E, cool. Lifetime. But um, and loved it, and it was it was during a time of of infotainment and taking often very complex information and making it entertaining and accessible. When uh, nonfiction TV turned into reality TV, I I wasn't keen to be making reality yeah. TV, and also I got to an agent stage in my life where. I wanted to be master of my destiny in terms of the stories I was telling, and I really only wanted to tell stories of uplift that would put kind of good juju into the world and yeah. inspire people. I launched my own company. It was terrifying. It took me two years to get up the courage to leave my job. When I told my husband that I was leaving this job, he thought I was crazy. He said, what? Like, you could retire there. Like, that's such a like, great, secure job. Yeah. And I said, yeah, but like, that's what terrifies me even more. Like, like, it like, goes back to what we were talking about before. Right. Growth right. in your comfort zone. I was not growing anymore. And I wasn't learning, stretching, growing. And I wasn't excited about the programming I was making. And, um, yeah, so um, I had a few super close girlfriends who um with their encouragement support like tugging beating loving me and just you know encouraging me i finally got up the guts to do this and launch my yeah. own company the first productions we did were um a, we created a web series for food and wine magazine mad genius tips so cool that was nominated for a james beard award last year yeah. and has yeah. you know like 
over 30 million views and, and has been very successful. Um, and then started working on um, Generation Startup about six months after launching the company. So cool. So what's next? Are you working on another film? Are you focused on more branded content? So um, I just directed and we produced the fall campaign for Chico's, the clothing brand. Cool. So shooting with um, real women, so um, real models, not uh, role models, not real models. Very so cool. real women uh, talking about being you know, comfortable in their skin. Um, and very um, on brand for this podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were like all of the women, uh, Chico's cast were they were extraordinary. I mean, really, 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 they inspired me. Um, and um, looking actively looking for more work for hire projects um, for brands, branded content, um, which you know. Uh, we love doing and also developing um, two long-term projects. So one is a feature documentary. Um, when I was in Chile with um, Generation Startup with the State Department, I learned about a coding program in Latin America that works with young women um, who come from extreme poverty, often abuse at home, and um, in six months trains them to be kick-ass so web developers cool. and they have a 75% success rate wow. placing these women um, in well-paid tech jobs so they have um, programs in Peru Chile and Mexico right now and they're expanding to other countries in Latin oh, America and it's founded by two couples who young couples who are like um, the love between these four people is so mm-hmm. so incredible and it's and the program is run by psychologists and um i've never never felt such extremes as i have felt developing this project because yeah. i've gotten to know um some of the past trainees and um uh the people running the peru um, outpost and, and the founders and I, I feel I, I feel such incredible heartbreak when I hear about the stories of some of the trainees and their past but these women these young women are they are so strong and so vibrant and so full of joy and so I mean this like they really embody the strength of the human yeah. spirit but also what Laboratoria is doing is extraordinary because they're they're taking these women who have no future and um, they're training them in six months to be coders, to be web developers, and transforming these women's lives, and also doing a lot of psychological development and empowerment work with them yeah. to help them confront their traumas of their past and to be whole and to be able to build a strong future. Yeah. So wow. I, I mean, I am just, I am so inspired by by what they're doing. So I. That is, um, I am I am determined to make this my next film, and cool. um, I can't wait to see it. Yeah, thank you. And we'll do another podcast after <laughs> in that one. Yes, <laughs> and then my daughter made a game that um, uh, went viral uh, when she was sixteen. Girl code. I'm staring at the poster. Very right. cool. We're right. in her well, room right now. <laughs> well, she 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 made a game tampon run to combat the menstrual taboo when she was sixteen, and. Um, the game went viral, and um, she won a lot of awards. And then wrote a book, uh, co-wrote a book with her co-creator um, called Girl Code to uh, encourage teen girls to to find their voice and to learn to code. So um, I've teamed up with um, a friend, 
and we are um, turning that into a dramatic TV series. Oh, cool. So basically taking Sophie and her uh, partner, Andy, as an inspiration to do kind of a girl girls meets Silicon Valley type of story. Oh my gosh, that's going to be so good. So we're looking for a showrunner for that. Wow, that is so cool. Oh my gosh, I can't wait to watch that. Wow. Oh my gosh. Okay, so many things I want to follow up on and, and ask about before I get to the questions I ask everyone, but I think I want to talk about a little bit about your time working in TV and what you would say to young women or just people in general wanting to get into working in TV and or film. There's so many different paths into working in TV and film, um, and there's so many different things. I mean, you know, uh, there's one binary, which is um, working in production, which is on set. um, And people who who take that path tend to start out as production assistants and then they move up and they can move up into um, the more business managerial side of things which is line producing and um, budgeting and keeping everything on track or they can move up in a more creative area um, ultimately becoming a director Um, there are other ways into production uh, becoming a cinematographer or uh, audio specialist. I mean, those are those are are real hard skills that you either have to go to school for, or apprentice, or do a lot of work on your own and Google and uh, read books. And but it, I mean, that's a craft and a skill. The audio, the cinematography, the um, and then there, you know, to to becoming a cinematographer, there's like the path from like being a, a lighting PA to being a gaffer or, or setting the lights to then shooting. Um, and the uh, the other uh, spectrum of that binary is working in an office for a producer, so in development. So finding projects, helping you know uh, raise the funding for a project, the casting, all of that. Um, the twain meet sometimes if you work for a producer who then goes into production on something, um, but there do tend to be people who like work in 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 the office versus those who work on the set. Mm-hmm. Um, although it's good to it's really good to have both because they're intertwined. Um, and then you know in terms of film and TV, I, I I wouldn't even make a distinction anymore. When I was starting out, there was a huge divide. People who did TV did TV, and people who did film did film. But now, uh, especially with Netflix and all of the digital outlets, um, I think that there is very little distinction. Like people are very fluid and move between like a feature film and a a, a dramatic TV series. And I think, you know, most of the really exciting stuff is happening in TV series. I mean, digital TV series. So yeah. it's not about nepotism. It it does help to know someone. It always helps to know someone, even in yeah, terms of, too. like, for my, for me to get work for hire doing branded content stuff or for me to raise funding for a documentary. It's often about, like, getting to somebody I know personally who gets me to somebody who can open a door somewhere. Mm-hmm. But that said, I'm also a strong believer in just, like, cold outreach. And, um, uh, and I do it in everything I do as an entrepreneur. So um, I, if I send out uh, blind, cold emails, 
Um, I assume that I will have a hit rate of 1%, that like 1% of yeah. people will respond to me. Um, I have this thing where I send out an email to somebody three consecutive weeks because it's usually the third time. And, um, and they'll get back to you, the same person, three times? Well, I what I'll do is I'll send an email, and if I don't hear back a week later, I'll send another one. If I don't hear back a third week, send another one. And if I hear back, it's usually the third time. Yeah. And I've heard that that's actually scientific. Mm. And I think that part of it is, and I do this, like I'll get an email from somebody and it's like, oh, that's interesting, but it's not like top priority on my to-do list yeah. today. So I'll come back to that. And then you forget. Where you forget. You just keep moving forward and get more piled under more emails. So then if you hear from someone a second time or a third time and you it is truly interesting to you, you're going to finally, or if, yeah. or if you um, are sympathetic enough, you're, yeah. you're going to be like, oh, well, this person's reached out three times. Yeah. Well, I'll, you know, right, A for effort. But it's, and then I won't do a fourth because that's obnoxious. Like, yeah. I feel like, you know, it's, um, and I don't, it's not like so sorry to bother you. Like, it's not from ever like, so sorry. You don't tiptoe around these mm. things. It's like, you know, you know, uh, and I don't say in case you didn't see my email because yeah. it's just basically like following up from the email from last week. Like, yeah, this so, is really good advice in any field. Well, I think that um, I think that that people and I I do a lot of mentoring and 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 it's one of the things that like and I tell my kids this too. I mean, people people think like, oh, I don't want to bother that person. Yeah. Or, oh, I, like, um, they didn't get back to me, so they don't, like, they're not interested. Yeah. Maybe they aren't interested, but, like, the majority of people are super busy. Yeah. And so if it's not a top priority, then they probably aren't going to give it much attention. Yeah. But if you are persistent then you have a shot at getting through to yeah. somebody. If you're not persistent, then you won't. Yeah. Like, you just won't. And then what will happen is you will feel really bad about yourself because then yes. you'll say, oh, it's personal. Oh, what I'm doing is not worthy, and that's why they didn't get back yeah. to me. So Yeah. I mean, people ask me all the time, you know, how did you get this person on the podcast? And, and I was like, well, I send a lot of emails and you only see the yeses on the podcast. Like I get a lot of no's too, but you don't see those. And that's a skill that I've really had to teach myself. I mean, I just learned a lot right now of, you know, I think I do start a lot of the emails with, oh, just making sure or so sorry. And I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to like be more firm and just following up. This is, this is where we're at. And yeah, I, I, I do. I boomerang is, do you use boomerang? No, it's such a great tool for this, yeah, because yeah. you can it reminds you, oh, if you haven't heard back in two weeks, it'll respond for you or in, in a week. Yeah, I probably and should use Boomerang. It helps me a lot just to remind me because just as they get busy to not see my email, I get busy and forget to follow up, and I'm like, oh, whatever happened to that? Did I hear back? And yeah, yeah, it's a helpful tool. Yeah, so well, I'm about to embark on like intense outreach on this documentary I want to do in Peru. Yeah. So like we've to, like created this hit list of like leading Latino women in in the U.S. and cool. like every company that cares about diversity in tech and like uh, in within those companies the um chief the chief diversity officer, the marketing people, the philanthropic arm, like anyone within those companies yeah. who might be interested in, because if you just need one person who's, who's interested, it sparks their interest, who says, let me find the right person here to yeah. put you in touch with. 
So it's just, a, it is, it's about being super persistent. I mean, it's how I got the job at the ad agency when I came out of college. It was a recession. I wanted to work in an ad agency. I sent, there was no internet at the time. I sent hand-typed letters to every single ad agency in New York City. Every one of them. And, like, that is how I got it. it's a numbers game. (laughs) It's a numbers game. It is totally a numbers game. Unfortunately, because it's so labor-intensive, it's a numbers game. Yeah. Wow. I think that's really inspiring to hear because people think that things, especially with social media, you know, it's so easy to just see people's lives on the internet, especially millennials, and be like, oh, wow, they just fell into that. But you don't see the the hard work or the time or the amount of no's that I get for the podcast. You just don't see that on social media. So what I would say is in terms of those outreach, keep them super short. Mm-hmm. Um cover emails with resumes um i will often decide whether to look at a resume or not based on a cover email um if i feel like it's a form letter i won't look um if they're typos like the classic one is when somebody sends it like to me but they didn't change the name of the company so that's very common but also the other thing that um i find annoying is when people write and they talk all about what they want to get out of like I want to come work for creative brief because I think I could learn so much and I could like what can you give well and I actually I care I care a lot about people who work with and for me having a good experience and learning I think that is getting back to what we talked about at the beginning of the podcast that is how you engage people and that's how you keep them happy and that's how they do their best work if they're growing learning stretching so that is important to me but I don't like I want I want to hire somebody who comes with the attitude of what can I contribute and what is like not and not like take 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 yeah so um so I think that people um often don't think in those terms and I and this is the other thing just do your research like especially if you're going to go in and meet with somebody that's the other thing um, I've, I've interviewed people who never bothered to look at the company website or like to look at any of the content we've created. And I mean, we were hiring someone to be the social media manager of the film and they had not done and like they didn't look at anything related to the film and we had a website up already. So that is shocking to me. Yeah. People like if you are going it's so to, easy, it's so easy. Right. So, so I do think blind outreach works but you have to have a stomach for and and the the kind of be diligent to like really and put in the time and effort to reach out widely and to um, follow up and also to do your homework and to to tailor each cover email keep them super short but that open two sentences should be personal yeah oh such good advice okay i gotta look over my copious notes here to make sure i've covered everything you, you, I wrote something down in your blurb on the website, which I think we already covered, but I want to read it because it was just so good. And you said, it's about the hu- when speaking about the movie, it's about the human capacity to step outside our comfort zone, overcome our fear of failure, not follow what other might, others might expect of us, and create our own path forward. I regret that it took me many decades to do that, but it's never too late and never too soon either. Even if you have an idea of what you're doing, even if you 
have no idea of what you're doing. As our subjects illustrate, the quickest way to learn is by failing and learning from your mistakes, then going back at it with greater confidence and expertise. I loved that so much, and I relate to that of, of making any sort of leap in your life. And I think we covered this, but is there anything else in the vein of trying something new that you want to let out? No, I mean... You kind and, of said it there. And and again, I think that, I, you know... Um, I mean, we all come from different circumstances and, and have different um, needs, so you know, I don't, I, I, I don't want to sound glib and say like, oh, just like try things. Yeah. Um. I mean, most people aren't going to launch a company. It's, it's really hard, and most people shouldn't launch a company. Right. I mean, it, it, it does break people, and it breaks people financially, and and it's like, but there are many, many ways to step outside your comfort zone or to try new things that are not like a bar um, class. Yeah, <laughs> like a bar class, and so you know, and I think that um, you know, the. the you know, Labib, who went down the one of the characters in the movie, went down the startup path, is now working at a job for somebody, um, not doing something entrepreneurial right now because he has to support his parents. Like yeah. he has the reality of he has to actually pay his own rent and their rent, and he needed to earn money and he couldn't yeah. take. So it's not um it's not that like. Everybody just throw caution to the wind and like don't worry about rent and how you're gonna eat tomorrow. Um, even my kids, when I tell them like follow your heart and do what you want, I'm not writing them a check. I'm saying figure out how to do that while supporting yourself. Yeah. Like you know, so yeah. it's um, and but again, I think that that idea of uh, of trying new things, stepping outside our comfort zone, it could be you know, um, reaching out to somebody you met who seems really interesting, you are afraid maybe they will reject you, but like try, why, like what do you have to lose? Yeah. Or, you know, go try a type of food you've never tried before, even though it seems like really weird. Yeah, go to the event, go to the party. That's definitely. yes to things. Yes, say yes. I mean, I think. the house. (laughs) So I think the most important thing is just being open to the universe. Yeah. And being open to what the universe brings, because I think that many people don't they're not even aware of what's available to them um, in terms of people relationships experiences job opportunities because they're not open to it because they they already assume well that person is going to reject me or I'm not going to apply for that job because they won't be interested in me anyway Mm -hmm. or I'm not going to take that painting class because like I'm gonna suck at it so even though I think I'd enjoy it like why bother like I think a lot of people um close doors to themselves because they uh just don't have the guts to try yeah or you know something I watch myself do that I have to check myself for is saying I don't have time when it's really I'm just not making it a priority or I'm making other things a priority that I think that need to be a priority really but I'm just scared of the thing that I actually want to do so I think I mean, that's important too. The the I don't have time, it's it is totally like we all have time for things that are mm-hmm. important to us. Yeah. So you're absolutely right. Well, another thing we always talk about is body image on the podcast. And so I think as women it's something that, that we all really deal with. And so I would love to hear your perspective on body image as a woman. Is this something that you've ever struggled with and how do you deal with it being a, a 
person in the world and then a person in in power how what do you do mindset wise to I always frame this question as shifting out of a bad body image moment whether it's like your physical body or just how you're feeling that day and so it doesn't become a bad body image day or week what are things you tell yourself yeah I mean that's like it's wonderful that you talk about that um because it's I think that it is uh like I think it's so pervasive and um like so pervasive and most women don't talk about it exactly so when I was growing up I was um a little overweight not a lot and and I guess in seventh grade I went on a diet and I started losing weight and the more weight I lost the more positive reinforcement Mm. I got from everyone around me who just the the skinnier I got everyone told me Mm. how gorgeous I looked to the point where when I was in um, ninth grade, I was anorexic mm-hmm. and um, uh, really like had a, such an unhealthy relationship to food yeah. and eating um, until I went to college. And, and um, my freshman year of college, early on, I met the person who's my husband who um, was madly in love with me. I mean, he stalked me for like months before <laughs> How we... did you guys meet exactly in Canvas? We had a mutual friend who was one of my best friends in high school who told us to look each other up. And Victor was a junior and I was just starting. And my parents dropped me off a day early um, from before orientation weekend left. And he came up and the second they left, uh, he knocked on the door and we went to dinner. He wouldn't let me drink tab, which I don't even know if it exists, Diet Coke, because he said it was carcinogenic. And then <laughs> that night he asked me to marry him. But oh my he, God. But he said, if you had to marry me or, or the Ayatollah Khomeini, who was like, you know, the worst despot in the world, like, who would you marry? If you had to marry me or Jeffrey Dahmer, a seri- oh, serial killer, funny. who would you marry? <laughs> he said that he just he wanted me to, he wanted to hear me say, like, I will marry, I would marry you. Oh my God, that's so funny. But of course, I, I'm the rational being that I am. I said, well, I don't think I would like to marry either of those men, but I haven't met them yet. So, yeah. <laughs> but anyway. Um, Which he, made you even more endearing. I don't know. <laughs> he was just super persistent, but I didn't know how to type, and he typed typed all my papers and I got a urinary tract infection and he ran over in the middle of the Aww. night and took me to the Brown infirmary and like he wormed his way into my heart. Yeah. But <laughs> anyway, but he also, when we started like, uh, dating or whatever one did then living together, or, but he would yeah. always say like, he loved me so much. He wanted more of me. Mm-hmm. Like, and so somehow he's like, loving me so much like uh, I somehow um allowed myself to to kind of become more comfortable Mm. um and at that point I I'd been like starving and binging and starving and binging and starving and binging right so I I kind of got kind of allowed myself to just accept myself and allow myself I formed a different relationship with food which was Mm. Like, if you want an ice cream, eat the ice cream. Don't deprive yourself. Yeah. Just eat one ice cream. And then that Intuitive will, eating. will break you of the craving. Yeah. So, and then I just somehow... And um, just became more comfortable. But weight is always... I've always struggled with it. And then um, lately... It's funny because I said to uh, uh, one of my best friends... Uh, lately who was in the Chico spots Mm -hmm. it's like I feel like I'm now what 56 years old I feel like I'm getting rounder like I get on the scale and I weigh the same 
But, and this is what happens. This is, I mean, biologically, we're meant to get rounder as we get older because I think it's something to do with, you know, how we have evolved to, like, protect ourselves. But, like, I don't like that I'm getting rounder. Like, everything about me, my belly, my breasts, my, you know, um, and I feel more full. But I weigh the same, which is why I'm just, like, now, it's funny, because this morning I was like, I wonder if I should go on a diet. I mean, since the day when I, since the days when I was anorexic, I've never gone on a diet, ever. Because I don't believe, I don't, I don't believe that, like, depriving ourselves, I think, but I eat super healthy. So I eat healthy, and so I'm trying, I have to figure out what I need to do. I put, I eat a lot of nuts. I put nuts in everything. So maybe I have to cut back on the nuts. Or maybe you have to, like, look, and this is what we talk about a lot, but looking at it is, you know, the fact that you feel good about yourself and you feel good about your life maybe looking at this as a cultural issue maybe. and this is a social issue that yes. women have and like yeah. why why is it why like looking at it as questioning why does it bother you and you have this like beautiful life and beautiful all these beautiful things like looking at it as like oh from a feminist perspective you know why does this why is this such a pervasive issue and like we've made fat bad and thin good in our mm-hmm. culture right. have you read the book intuitive eating no, but I should. Probably. I think you'd really like it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm. I mean, I eat healthy, and I don't deprive myself of anything. The good thing is that, like, I I eat like a head of lettuce every day, and that makes me super happy. I would like choose that head of lettuce over like anything sweet at any like any moment. Like I actually don't. My body doesn't. I don't crave sweets, and I don't. Mm-hmm. I can. I can eat them in super tiny quantities. I so I don't. I don't crave starch or sugar or the things that like so anyway so but I agree with you I think that body image is you know and I'm 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 a healthy size and a healthy weight so and that is the most important thing and so if if it really is an issue for me that I feel like I have too much body fat I probably should be exercising more and I'm not I should be exercising more because it's healthy not because of any issue having to do with because you want to because I well I feel yeah. great after I exercise yeah. so that alone like you feel really good yeah. and it, you know I had two herniated discs last year from mm. like working 16 hour days on the movie and like slumped over like a computer or at the edit bay all the time so like even that alone just like being active and yeah. strengthening my core and yeah. all of those those are the reasons why I should yeah. be exercising more Not but yes I agree with you I think that I think that um, and in fact even today like even now my husband feels I'm too thin I'm not I'm not thin at all but he's like I wish there were more of you so I mean it is nice to be married to a man who embraces that and who is so loving yeah it's really and so I my background is through an eating disorder so we talk about eating disorders a lot in this podcast and something that's come up again and again that I've seen as kind of a pattern in the recovery community is that a lot of women will get in really good healthy relationships and it's a really great tool in recovery and I'm not saying at all that it's the only way but it has been helpful in my own life and it's been helpful to a lot of people of you know I know for me that getting into a relationship or liking someone so much helped me to chill out around food and just be like, well, I really like this guy, so I'm going to pretend to be a normal eater, you know, a quote-unquote normal eater, instead of, you know, we, we do these things to try to control and literally make ourselves smaller for the world as women. So I think it's so important to 
know that that can be a really healthy tool or just maybe you don't even need the relationship but just to know that there you are loved enough to have more of you in the world you know whether someone's telling you that and everyone should have a victor but if you don't you know knowing that the world does need more of you and it's okay and I love what you said there about not having dieted for years because dieting really leads to that diet binge cycle right. of restriction and binging. Yeah, I think I think eating healthy is yeah. important. I think I mean when I say important, I think if you want a piece of chocolate, like have the fucking piece of chocolate, yes. like you know, it's like yes. um just like I think, you know, everything in moderation. But yeah. even the days when you're not eating healthy in moderation, enjoy it. Like yes. that's also my attitude. If you're not going to eat healthy, at least enjoy it. Yes. Like don't do it with guilt because Yeah, that's um, worse for you than anything you So can much. Like anything, anything as long as you're not like hurting someone else. Yeah. Like, you know, as like if anything you do that isn't necessarily the best thing for you, it's like if you're going to do it like it like my you know daughter's like clubbing and out 24 hours like at a clip dancing which isn't the healthiest thing but she's really enjoying it so it's like okay you know but actually speaking my daughter she wrote her college application about her big breasts Mm. because um she has large breasts and um uh and she for many years hated herself for it i mean she felt really self-conscious and it was a really funny essay because it like talked about when she started to grow breasts she was so excited and like like it meant she was becoming a woman and all this and then how you know they came to define her her and like yeah. she was so embarrassed um and then you know how as, as she you know she did this game and it went viral and and she realized not because the game went viral but because she learned how to code she she learned how to code and she conquered something that was so hard for her and that she learned through that experience that she is much more than her body yeah, and that cool. she learned to love herself for who she is yeah. and and even came to love her big breasts because that is who she is. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. She sounds amazing. And shout out to the room where we're recording this in. So this kind of lends well to the next thing we always talk about, which is feminism. So I'd love to hear from you how you define your feminism and how you act your feminism in your life. I, I guess I'm I'm a feminist in the sense that yeah, I'm I'm I take risks. I speak up. I've I've worked over the years for difficult men. Um, I, you know, I, I have a lot of self-respect, um, and don't let, you know, if there's a situation that's not okay, I'm, I will speak up. I don't, um, and sometimes that does involve issues around, uh, uh, being a woman or around gender. Another thing that, that's interesting, I think, to talk about now is social media and technology. So how do you handle your relationship with social media technology your phone in general and being present how do you handle that balance um my relation in okay so that's also such a great question because um so i'm 56 i didn't grow up uh, a social media native which is good and bad i mean the bad is it's it's really really important to be on social media today. I mean, I have a company. I, you know, I, I, I made the movie. I wanted to get it out into the world. So I think social media can be a really, really effective tool for that. Mm-hmm. And I should be, I should be on it much more. I should have an Instagram presence. I should like be publishing a lot more on LinkedIn. And 
Um, I don't, I have a Facebook page that I'm never ever on. Um, I feel really guilty. People like wished me happy birthday, a lot of them last <laughs> year, and I didn't even like respond. Cause yeah. I, first of all, I never get as much done in a day as I set out to, to begin with. So I walk around with so much guilt in, like, <laughs> that my to-do list is much yeah. longer than I'll ever accomplish. And, um, and then if I added to that getting lost in social media and spending hours every day following other people and putting out my own social media, I would like never get anything done ever. So, um, I, and then I also, I just like, I'm somebody who like, I like to be present. If I'm working on something, I want to focus on it. If I'm yeah. writing a deck or I'm like, if I'm with a friend or with my kids, I want to be with them. Yeah. I don't want to be on my phone. So, um, I like, but it's a, I have a very conflicted relationship with social media because I really do beat myself up a lot does. <laughs> that I don't do it. And when like the film has very robust social media and I do like, I I've created that social media and I like ensure that like, like it, there's an engine and it's like doing its thing, but mm-hmm. I have other people who are doing that. Like I, even though I'm. I'm the like helping be the voice of it and and approving yeah. everything that goes out. Curating it. Right, curate but but anyway. So that's I mean and and you know again um Sophie for instance I mean she worked at face my daughter worked at Facebook last summer and the summer before which is kind of ironic because she, her big gripe with her generation is that like she'll go to a party and everybody will be taking photos of the food or taking photos of the party, but not actually like at the party. At the party, yeah. And like she can't stand that. So yeah. she, she like she has her close circle of friends. Like they they have this thing where when they're together, their phones are away. Yeah. Like she she's not somebody who lives on social media or who, but she, it, the irony is she's a coder and she's like yeah. she's gonna spend her life creating you know, um, writing code that drives all of this. But, but, um, so anyway, I don't know what the answer is because I think that there is a really great role that social media can play, but I also think that it can really, um, and you, you know, you read so much about teen suicide is way up and, you know, this whole like FOMO and all of that. And, um, I think that it can be also so, so destructive. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I kind of am on the cusp of growing up with, like, Facebook was around when I was in high school, but Instagram wasn't, which is a very, you know, I think Instagram is FOMO. Like, I think that it just should be, like, renamed that, like, Comparagram or something. Facebook also. Yeah, I think for my my generation, it's, Facebook seems more for an older generation now, where I feel as Instagram seems more easy and on the go, so it's just there all the time. It's so pervasive, and... I went to see two dope queens last week in Brooklyn, and they there's this cool company. The founder actually might do the podcast. I forget what it's called. I think it starts with a Y, but it's these pouches. Have you heard of them that take your phones? So when we walked into the theater, they took our phones and they locked them away, and then they open them up for you when you leave. And it was we were there really early for the show because it was an HBO taping. And we all just got there, got a drink, hung out. It was me and my three best friends from college and I was like we don't even need to see the show this was worth it of just getting our phones taken away from us for an hour and just like being we were forced to be present with everyone and then the interesting thing was all three of my friends had to go to the bathroom and they I didn't have to go and they needed someone to stay with the stuff at the seats 
And I was like, oh, what do I even do right now? Like I knew no one else there. I just had to just sit and be with my thoughts and be bored, which I think is such an important thing. So anyway, I, I was thinking about that company and I bet people will start buying those pouches and having dinner party. I want to and having dinner parties yeah. that are like phones go over there, grab a pouch. And, and I found myself reaching for it and being like, oh, I, I can't. And it was really healthy. I, uh, I do worry about like even like young kids now, I mean, parents like give them the phones or give them their, their, their yeah. tablets to keep them busy. And we have no idea. Like, what Always bad. Do. I mean, I think that, I think technology is great, but yeah. I think that, you know, I think that introducing those things later <laughs> and, um, yeah, I mean, they haven't, they even done studies that like when you read a book, an actual book versus read reading something on a tablet you know you retain more yeah it's a real book but yeah but i mean again that said sophie i see that snapchat she with her friends is like this extraordinarily creative outlet for her yeah. i mean it's a self like a form of expression but that's for her friends i mean she's right. not it's a way to like create these fun things that they share among themselves it's right. not like so you know it, it does have the flip side that no, can be it really totally positive does. and i i love it like to me facebook is my scrapbook instagram is yeah. my scrapbook like i sometimes just sit and will scroll through mine of like this is this is my life and i i have that same relationship with it of sometimes i love it and other times it's i it makes me really sad because it's it's taking me out of the moment but it's yeah, it's something that I think... I, I was listening to a, a Fresh Air episode with a tech writer from the New York Times, and he was saying how, you know, for the first time in history, technology, people are... Real, or he's realizing, and, and this is, sounds kind of bleak, but he in his book, he's like, for the first time, people are studying technology and realizing that it, it's always in the past benefited people's lives, and for the first time, people are like it actually might not be beneficial in some cases. It might be harming people's lives, which is an interesting thing to think about. And yeah. Well, also it's um, automation is yeah. going to put potentially half the people working today out of jobs in the next 10 years. Yeah. So, I mean, that is um, something that uh, I, like, yeah. uh, that, yeah. that we have to, I mean, it's okay as long as they can have income and find a, you know, a purposeful life yeah in other ways yeah it's it's all really interesting and yeah I, I feel like we could talk about this forever but I feel like there is a definitely a swing of like Sophie's generation and the generation below me of wanting to do things offline and wanting to be more offline and make the I feel that too of like using your hands and knitting or doing other things or being outside right. and yeah uh, okay so I want to talk a little bit about how you handle stress and doing so many things. And I, I wrote this book, as you know. I brought you a copy, actually. I stopped at um, Barnes & Noble and, and bought it. And the guy was like, oh, your name on the credit card matches the author. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's so funny. <laughs> um, but anyway, I wrote this book about journaling. So I would love to know, you know, how do you handle stress? Have you ever been, you studied writing in, in college. Are you someone who processes things through journaling? What has your relationship to writing been? Wow, I mean, I kept a journal when I was in um, uh, young, in like middle school, high school, and a little bit in college. And I, I don't have time to do it now. I, I would love to. I should get back to it. Actually, I, uh, I think that's how I developed a voice as a writer. Mm -hmm. I mean, was through writing in a journal when I was young. I yeah. mean, it's like, 
and all three of my kids journal um, a oh, lot. Cool. Um, it's it really is for them uh, really really important in many 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 ways. So, um, but I don't. I mean, the writing I do now is all for work type. I mean, I'm writing pitch decks or I'm writing emails. Or yeah, I'm I writing... feel like sometimes I'm a professional email writer. Like that's all I do. <laughs> totally. Uh, yes, I, I feel that way a lot too. Um, and um, so, in terms of stress, I mean, I don't, I don't feel like I'm under stress. But um, I grind my teeth at night. Me I too. Do you? Have you? A bike guard? I have a bike guard, you which do. I can't sleep without now. Yeah. So I like I don't know if that's genetic or if it's stress. And then um, whenever I go for a massage, like the person is like, oh my, like they, they when they touch me, they're like. Me too. They're like, they're like appalled. <laughs> appalled. They're like, you know, and it's usually the, like those places where they don't speak a ton of English. Like right. They're the hardcore, like Chinese masseuses, but. They're always like in shock. They're always like angry at me. (laughs) Like they're like, "Oh, you you need more massage." (laughs) Right. I think it's. I don't know if it's angry. It's more in like kind of stupefied. Like how can I be walking around like with these knots in my back? Yeah. It's like you carry all your stress there. So much stress. Yeah. And I think it's the leaning over the computer. Yeah. Right. All those things. So so anyway. So I like. I don't think of myself as stressed out um I don't know I when I was younger I definitely I would I was like I think much much more anxious I think that as I and I think this might come with age I just like I and and when I had my first child I mean when I had him I was producing feature films and I was like hardcore like you know was going nonstop and I would go to bed at night and the to-do list in my head and I would wake up in the morning and like you know really really like and and having having Avery forced me to like um, spend hours not doing like you Mm. like when you have a child like hours on the floor just playing and I think that was very healthy to learn like to let go of like okay I'm gonna get half as much done today than I intended to but that's okay so I unless there's like a a hardcore deadline like when we were cutting the film and trying to make the um the date for uh the cutoff date to to apply to a film festival um I was literally working 16 17 18 hours a day seven days a week because we had to like we really wanted to make that deadline so I have the capacity to go like nonstop, yeah. but I also do try to be kind to myself. And for better or worse, I'm not a machine. I am like someone who is can be really in the moment. So yeah. if like one of my children needs something, or I'm with a friend, and like I wanted to get home in time to like get a bunch of stuff done, but we're having a lot of fun together, or somebody needs me. I'm going to be there and I'm not going to be like, oh, well, I have to go now to get things done. Like, yeah. I'm just like, I'm in the moment. Yeah. And so I think that it's important to be able to be in the moment and to enjoy those moments, even if it means that, like, I'm not getting as much done every day as I wanted. Unless, again, there's like this hard, hard, hard deadline. Yeah. yeah. But as a business owner, it's hard because, like, there's always more I should and need to be doing to keep yeah. driving the business forward. Yeah, totally. I think what you said there about, like, there are times where you have to just, like, really push and put your head down and work. And then there are periods in your life where you can give yourself self care and rest. And I think it's knowing yourself well enough and having the self awareness and listening to actually do it. 
Well, I think, again, maybe it has to do with getting older, but now my body won't let me as much. Like, yeah. that's, I ended up with the two herniated discs because yeah, it was my body thanks. saying, like, okay, you abused me. Yeah. Now I'm going to, like, make you take care of me. Yeah. And if I go too long with uh, not getting enough sleep, I get a twitch in my left eye. I get that, too. <laughs> yeah, what's wrong? We're, like, the same. So, so if you have a twitch in one eye, uh-huh. it's stress and sleep deprivation. If you have a twitch in both eyes, then it's a medical condition. You wow. need to get checked. But one eye, it's yeah. and yes, it's totally it's it's a hundred percent stress and sleep deprivation. Wow, that's yeah. so interesting. Yeah, that's what I suspected from Doctor Google. <laughs> okay, so this is one of my favorite questions to ask because it really gives you a window into someone's life. I think so. We talk about morning and evening routines. So, what are the first three things you do when you wake up in the morning? First couple of things. And how that affects the rest of your day. And then at the end of the day, especially as an entrepreneur, what are the last few things you do before bed? And how do you wind down and shut down at the end of the day? Oh, my God. I, like, I, I feel like you're outing me in all of my like worst practices. No. But, um, I, and again, just like I was thinking, like, I have to get better about going, you know, working out more. Um, also, I've, I've been thinking about um, forcing myself into a nighttime routine um even a morning routine i mean i'm not, i'm not a routine person i mean i mean i don't i mean maybe it has a little bit to do with like being young and having anorexia and then like saying okay i'm gonna not yeah. diet and i'm not yeah. gonna hold myself to like these like regiments i'm not like someone who's super regimented yeah. i'm very disciplined but not regimented and they're different. Yeah. So, um, but when I wake up, I wake up and I love to have a cup of coffee. Like I, I just need, I remember when I was growing up and my mother would say like, don't talk to me. I haven't had my coffee yet. And I used to think that was so weird, but I like that. I'm like, I just love to wake up and have like a, uh, it's mostly like half coffee, half milk. I heat up the milk. So like my, my, my coffee milk, my latte, um, I, I, I tend, I do like to, we get three newspapers. So the wall street journal, the financial times and the New York times. I mean, these days I get so depressed looking at them. So I, I vacillate between like not wanting to see them because it's like, Oh my God, I'm going to get too, too depressed to like, I have to see them. What's going on in the world is the yeah. world still there. But, um, but anyway, and then, um, because of the herniated discs, I do my stomach exercises because, like, I've learned that, like, I was just sat up straighter. <laughs> I know, but uh, I ha- if I stretch and do like some core, I feel really good. And if I don't, I don't feel good. So, like, I'm really, I am, and I'm good about. Discipline. Yes, well, because the doctor was very clear. He's like, listen, there's no magic bullet here. You do exercises the rest of your life, and you'll be fine. And if you don't, you won't. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, so again, back to the body kind of telling me like in its own way that I have to take care of myself um and then um so like you know and then some mornings I have like early meetings or early breakfasts and then I'm like up and out and then other mornings I'm like out way later than I should be because I just get kind of like involved in like I guess that's me time yeah because at night I tend to um well if if I'm out, but even when I'm out, like I tend, when I get home, I get on the computer, I try to answer emails that I didn't get to during the day, or I try to like research, like if I have meetings the next day, I'm like prepping for them and Mm -hmm. research, like, 
and I often end up going to bed at like one, um, coming off the computer and getting into bed, which is a really, really bad thing to do. Not um, great for the eye twitch, but okay. <laughs> not great for anything, although I'm fortunately somebody who is, I'm very good about like, I get into bed and I fall asleep for the most Me part. Too, yeah. For I the can, most I can part. fall asleep right now. Like, <laughs> right. So, so not because anyway. you're boring, just because I can fall asleep easily. <laughs> right. So, but I mean, you know, I don't think it's the healthiest thing. I should, I mean, I, I think, I think that um, a morning routine would probably be a good thing for me and a nighttime routine, but... Well, it sounds like you have you, you kind of have a lovely one. I think you're being hard on yourself. Oh, I don't you know have, how lovely it is, but... Yeah, you've got your coffee. It's, it sounds nice. It sounds nice. It is nice. It, like, you know, I guess after all those years of, like, getting up and getting, like, three kids, and I had them, like, very far apart because I never stopped working. So there were many years when I was, like, up and getting kids out the door into school, which was, like, so frenetic. Yeah. Um, that, like, maybe now I am, like, I give yeah. myself, like, except, I don't know, I should, I, I get, again, we get back to the shoulds. Yeah, um, I don't think you need the shoulds. I think you're doing great. Uh, I don't know. I like. I probably would like to set the clock back two hours and get up earlier and out the door earlier and like go to bed earlier. Yeah. That probably would be a good thing. Yeah. I think I need more sleep because I didn't even realize that we got an extra hour last night. Like I just was like woke up just as tired as I like normally am. So <laughs> I don't know. Okay. This is our, our quick fire round. So just say the first thing that comes to mind and don't don't think about it too much. They They start off easy and get more challenging. So I'll warn you. Favorite color? Black. Favorite day of the week? Every day. Hour of the day? Uh, all of them. Greatest lesson on motherhood? Parenthood. Uh, unconditional love. Mm. Greatest lesson on relationships? Unconditional love. Mm-hmm. What is, where are you with greatest lesson on spirituality, God, what happens when we die, all of that? Uh, I, I don't, I don't think, I think we live on when we die. I, Mm. whether that is in other people's hearts and minds, um, I, but, you know, my father died six seven years ago and I feel he's so with me Mm. at every moment so I do think we live on yeah Mm, really well said that was beautiful what is something you're afraid of but you're doing anyway how are you challenging yourself right now I'm challenging myself in so many ways I mean I'm terrified to have my own company it's a huge responsibility but I love it I'm terrified to you know direct this documentary that I want to get off the ground because it's going to be hard but it's like the most like I like passionate thing I I am about in like anything like you know I feel so excited and like such intense positive emotion about it yeah so um cool have you read the war of art I haven't I should it's it's a it's a good book and and he says in there that we will feel the most resistance to the things that we're like meant to do that we're most passionate about and so you have to push through that resistance to get them out in the world well I think about like oh my god I'm gonna do this film in Spanish which I feel 
comfortable about, but I'm going to do this film in Peru, a country that's like, you know, uh, tough to navigate and so far away. And like, I think about all like, you know, all of the, like we all do when we're embarking on something that's like big and scary and new, it's like normal to think about the, like the what ifs, but like that, like that doesn't matter. Cause I know that, um, I, like I fundamentally feel um confident that it's going to be a beautiful film and that that i will conquer like all those fears and yes do it of course you will amazing okay so you can invite five people to a dinner party who do you invite what do you cook slash eat and what do you hope you talk about and what do you hope that doesn't come up that you don't want to talk about Oh my god, that question's too overwhelming. Um, there's so many people I would want to invite to a dinner party, and um, dead, alive, close friends, people I've never met. Yeah. And what would I cook? I mean, I um, uh, I'm not. I used to be a good cook. Um, I am very out of the habit, and when I cook, I cook. I'm always in a rush, so it's always too fast, and I don't have the patience. Me so, um, I'm I make a really amazing salad. Mm. So I would make a big plent- plentiful salad with like you know. What's going in the salad? Um, uh, lots of <laughs> lots of different uh, greens from the farmers market. Cool. Um, you know the obvious ones, but uh, my favorite lettuce these days is um, this red leaf lettuce and um dandelion uh, and kale and and then i love a grain uh um whether that's um you know quinoa or farro or um and um definitely a cheese parmesan or feta and um definitely nuts definitely nuts and then beets i'm like oh i love beets obsessed with beets these days um, I'm also I love putting strawberries or raspberries. Oh yeah. In with the beets. Ooh, I thought that'd be really good. And then I um fa- I'm obsessed with Fairway makes a super premium balsamic vinegar that's theirs and their um unfiltered olive oil, and like it they're the like the most flavorful those Ooh, two. Amazing. There I just got at the grocery store yesterday this um. They're fermented beets with ginger, and I've just been putting them on salads, kind of like sauerkraut, but they're just beets that have ginger in them, and it's so good, and they're like ready-made, and anyway. That sounds good. great. Yeah, I feel like you'd like and it. And then, I mean, sometimes I put in salmon or chicken or... Yeah, whatever. Cool. Yeah. That sounds delicious. Okay, so this next question is really just a way for you to recommend things, but I frame it as, so it can be all-time favorites or things you've liked forever or recent favorites that you want people to know about. So I usually frame it that you're trapped on a deserted island and you can only bring with you one book, one movie, one TV show, oh one God. piece of music, um, and one food. So it can just be like first thing that comes to mind or things you love forever. So one piece of music is easy. Okay. Um, my middle son is a writer-composer, so I would definitely uh, bring one of his songs. Cool. Um, or one of his musicals. Yeah. Um, books. Uh, um, my favorite book, but I haven't read it since I was in college, was James Joyce's Ulysses. 
as a comparative literature major, uh, there was one required class, and that was to read Ulysses, and then each week we would apply different literary theory to it. So Marxist theory, or Freudian theory, or feminist wow. theory, or cool. and um, I I read that book with like three guides at my side, like line by line. Wow. Um, what I have to do is Symphony Space every year. They have actors come and they they read it during oh, um, cool. James Joyce Day. So. Um, uh, I, I mean, it's been like at my big to-do list is to, to go back and, and reread it. Yeah. Um, uh, and then, um, TV show, there are a lot of them. I mean, it's like in my head running yeah. through and I, uh, I, I'm not going to pick one yeah. of each. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, that's cool. Um, food that you'd never get sick of. Lettuce. <laughs> nice. Um, I think that I think that's all the categories. Okay. So the name of this podcast is Let It Out, and it's super long, and we go over a lot of things. So is there anything that you wish that I would have asked you that you really wanted to talk about that you never get to talk about? Do you feel like I run you dry for all of your Cheryl wisdom? Anything? No. You are so wonderful. I We could, like, talk forever. Um, and it sounds like we have a lot in common. Yeah, we got the, the same eye twitch. <laughs> Hopefully not. No. But um, I think you have asked amazing questions questions and yeah. been incredibly comprehensive so um yeah, i good. you know i think that um we did it covered a lot of ground all right that was my episode with cheryl miller hauser make sure you watch generation startup i genuinely loved it so much i really think you will too follow the movie and her on all of social media and follow me let's be friends on all of social media at katie dalebout And thank you one more time to the sponsors, Juice Beauty. I love you guys so much. I use your products. I love them. I love your founder, Karen. I love that your products are not only helpful to making me uh, look the way I want to look. You know, I think makeup is really just about highlighting what you like and covering up what you don't like. And Juice Beauty does that, but it also nourishes your skin, which is great. So if you want to try them for 15% off, 15% off, Go to juicebeauty.com slash let it out or just follow the link in the show notes. Also, thank you so much to careof.com. Actually, it's takecareof.com, but thank you to careof. They are my favorite way to take supplements. They deliver them to me in a personalized container with my name on it with exactly what I need. They are great for people who are prenatal or they need natal supplements or whatever on the spectrum of motherhood that you are. They even have pregnancy and post-pregnancy packs customized for you. So you can check those out too. And if you, like me, are not pregnant and don't want to be right now or maybe ever, you can still use their products too. They are wonderful and they come to you in personalized daily packs. Very convenient to take with you on the go. Okay, like I said, if you've watched the movie that we talk about quite a bit in this episode, Generation Startup, it's on Netflix now. I loved it. It takes place in Detroit. Cheryl's the director of it. Well, you will really like what's coming to you after this because we get pretty inside baseball with the film and I ask some questions that I was curious about. So stick around for that. Also, I'm going to tell you the emoji for the episode, which is the camera. It's the 
you know, the one if you say movie in your phone, the one that comes up. So if you are still listening right now to me rambling, let me know and put that on my Instagram. Comment that in any one of my photos, tweet that at me and at Cheryl, and just let us know that you're still listening. Oh, and one more thing. If you are wanting to start a podcast and bring a podcast to life, email me. Let me know. Email katie at katiedelbot.com and let's talk about your podcast and how I can help you. I've been hosting this podcast since 2013 and I would love to help other people bring their podcasts to life because like I keep saying, this is my favorite thing I've ever done. So email me and let me know. Love you guys. Bye. have some self-serving questions about the film that I just want to know that I'm curious about did you ever get all of the subjects in a room together and what was their reaction to to the film um well we have I mean they because they were part of this fellowship program they were together in Detroit sometimes Uh, the funny thing is that we had scenes with some of them together um, I mean, the Castle and Bonza guys I was lived. Say, that they, was such a great right. tie-in. Well, they lived together in right. the house, and they worked together in that house. So, like, even though they were from separate companies, they like that you know that cool. was organic. Yeah. But like, we you didn't, didn't know that was gonna happen when you no. Did we know? Maybe we knew that the the Castle guys had already bought a house. Uh-huh. They bought a house at auction for like eighty five hundred dollars. Um, that was. Uh, in shambles and they renovated themselves yeah, and didn't know what they cool. had no clue what they were doing and they ended up living there in the winter and working there in the winter oh, with basically almost no heat yeah, so yeah that's just watch the movie it's so good well that's probably my favorite moment when Max is in the oh. tent with the space heater in the kitchen in yeah. January in like it's 45 degrees in the house yeah were you there the for shooting that yes I was there for a week in February and um, oh I bundled in winter coats and like hat and scarves filming in the house I was freezing in the house but um so when because the Castle and Bonza guys lived together and worked in that house I mean seeing them together was normal but when like we would when we were close to the end of cutting the film we would have people come and watch and we would get feedback um and it was such a mess still I was sure that we would never have a cohesive film but when they saw like Kate in a scene with Max, they were like, wait a minute, how does Kate know Max? Like, I'm confused. Or we had some uh, some great moments with Dextina and Kate, but right. people were like, like, how do they know each other? So we then didn't have any scenes with mm-hmm. them. But yes, we um, when we finished, when I finished the film, I came to Detroit with it because I then, I still had to raise more money because um, we wanted to control our distribution because yeah. documentary distribution is broken and we didn't want some distributor taking it out in the normal way of it playing at movie theaters across the country to like empty audiences yeah we wanted to open theatrically in three markets get a lot of press which we did um so we opened theatrically in new york la detroit and then did hundreds of event screenings around the country so where major corporations venture capitalists startups would um do either internal screenings for team building or would license the film and bring together like um people with in the startup community within 
a city. So um, I went to Detroit to raise money to um, underwrite our distribution. And um, that's when I showed the film to our characters. So they all came to this screening. Um, and they were extremely moved. They were mm -hmm. very nervous because they had never seen anything. And they were very, very, very moved. And I, I got, like, I think the greatest compliment from Max who said, you know what, I was really embarrassed watching myself, but I think you were so true to me. Mm. Like, you really, really captured me. And that's what we heard from all of them. Yeah. You had asked earlier about the one thing when I was saying the, the, the three different elements of the film, the one I forgot to mention was um, we gave all of them GoPros. Oh, yeah. So they all... Um, and we asked them to do video diaries with the GoPros. So we didn't... It was whenever they felt like doing it. Um, and... At first, they were like a little awkward and um, not very forthcoming. And we're like, no, just like talk to it like you're journaling. Like mm -hmm. pretend you're writing in a journal and that's how you should use the GoPro. And some of them got so, they I think, so used to using the GoPro and found it cathartic. You could tell kind of that they, from the beginning to the end, that they it was less performative and more just them... It's stressed or sad, where at the beginning it was like they were in a better mood every time. Well, um, I think that um, some of them were surprised at, like, that they had shared some things on the GoPro. But, I mean, we had far, far, far more revealing stuff from them on GoPro that we didn't put in the yeah, movie. Yeah, I bet that you probably know so much about these people. <laughs> but, um, but, but yeah, it, it, sometimes we watch, we would watch the GoPro footage and we'd say, what were they thinking? Like, they really, they sent that to us? But <laughs> we so were like, funny. we were not, like, we weren't looking to, like, yeah. like horribly embarrass them. So we, like, but anyway. Um, That's so funny. But now I forgot your question. Um, I Oh, about them, their reaction. Oh, right, right. Together, so, so, and then um, we did this event screening, and, and some of them travel. I mean, I was on the road with some of them for a long time. I mean, like mm -hmm. LinkedIn flew a bunch of us out to Silicon Valley and screened the film in all their offices around the so world cool. during a professional development day. Oh, that's great. Um, and, I mean, we did, you know, we I did event screenings with um, a bunch of them um, yeah. along the way. Um, cool. So, yeah. Yeah, cool.